Take your Bible and turn to the book of uh, Romans and chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. I enjoy the book of Romans. But I'll have to admit in my early days of my Christian life, I had a little problem with chapter 6. Said a lot of things I didn't understand. And so I know that if you've read Romans, you might have had the same problem. So I want to give you something that helps me to understand the scriptures just a little bit better. I believe this will help you understand the difference between law and grace. I've heard a lot of people talk about law and grace. And after they get through, I'm not sure they understand anything they said. I just kind of sometimes get mixed up. Is a man saved by grace or is he saved by his works? And if he is saved by grace, then why did God give the law? Well, I've got an answer. Romans chapter 6, look in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? My question, how that we shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? If I'm dead to sin. Now, how do I explain that? Sure seems pretty much alive in my life. Verse 3, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ was baptized unto his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ... We believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over us. For in that he died, he died once unto sin. And, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but you're under grace. What does all that mean? Boy, it sounds like an awful lot. But when you get through, you don't know if you're any more spiritually minded than you were when you first started it. I, uh, Struggle with verses sometime. And sometimes like sitting down and eating a meal and mashed potatoes, no problem, the beans and everything else. And then you get a piece of meat and then you get a piece of gristle and you can't chew it and it lodges in your throat and you can't swallow. And some people just go ahead and die right there. <laughs> when you're studying the Bible and you come across a, a gristle, well, spit it out and eat some of the other stuff. And after a while, you'll find out there's a knife over here and there's a fork over here and you go right and you can rightly divide the word. Um, and now I can understand it. Oh, that's better. It tastes pretty good. You don't have to get choked. Well, how do you explain these verses? What does it really mean when it says you're no longer under the law and uh, we're under grace? What does it mean to under grace? I mean, they're nice phrases, but what do you mean? I want to use an illustration that I think will help you to get the point. 
I um, wanted to find somebody that would be just perfect, just perfect to be the first guy. And so I'm going to ask Chris over here if he'll come up here and sit right there in that chair right there. <laughs> now, I have not talked to you about this, have I? No. But look how in, in, he dresses impeccable. I mean, the guy is just one sharp dude. And I'm going to do something for you today that nobody has done for you. I'm going to get you married. <laughs> now, y'all just hold on. He says he's 30 years old and he doesn't have a girlfriend. Well, maybe he doesn't have a wife. He might have a lot of girlfriends I don't know about. Um, is, is there a girl here named Kyla? Kyla? Where's Kyla? Where? She's in the back. What about Amanda? Is Amanda in here? Where? Amanda, get up here. <laughs> I, I just need a, an illustration. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. All you got to do is just sit there and look pretty. <laughs> That's all you have to do. Now, I want you to now, this is a little lady. She represents the nation of Israel. Israel is representative of all the people in the world. We're all lost. We're lost. Over here, he represents the law. Now, I want you to take your Bible and turn all the way over there to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus and chapter 19, Exodus and chapter 19. And the Lord is talking to Moses and telling him what he did for the nation of Israel. It says in verse 3, And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar people unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Moses came, called for the elders of the people, laid before them their faces all their words, these words which the Lord commanded him, and all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. Sounds like a marriage if I've ever heard one. Jehovah God takes Israel to be his wife. He says, Now I've got some commandments, and if you'll do what I tell you to do, and I'm going to make a covenant with you, boy, is it going to be great for you. And it says here in verse 8, And all the people answered together, All that the Lord hath spoken, we will do. I do, I do. Married. So God has taken Israel to be his wife. She says, and all girls, whether they say it or not, want to get married. She says, boy, if I could just find the perfect man, the perfect man. Remember, that's how you got married. You thought you found the perfect man. <laughs> now you know better, but it's too late. But if she could just find the perfect man, I will do anything you say. All you command, I will do. Well, look over here. 
This is Mr. Law. Now, Mr. Law is a good man. Let me just kind of give you some of his descriptions. Take your Bible and look here in the book of Romans in chapter 7. Romans and chapter 7. And you'll notice that um, it gives us a pretty good description of this fellow. And it says here in verse 12, Wherefore, Mr. Law, I'm paraphrasing it just a little bit from Yankeeology. <clears throat> Wherefore, Mr. Law is holy. Oh, look up here. He's holy. And Mr. Com uh, Law is good and just. There ain't nothing wrong with him. He's holy, he's good, and he's just. You couldn't find a better man in all your life. Except right there. <laughs> now get this. Look at verse 14. For we know that Mr. Law is spiritual. You can't beat that. He's not only all of that. He's spiritual. So it, that's what you're looking for. The man, not only that, he's tall, good looking, and handsome. Got a lot of money. <laughs> and the Bible says there's nothing wrong with Mr. Law. All the good qualities you'd ever want doesn't do anything wrong. She said, if I could just find the right man. I will. So she says, all that he says, I will do. Married. Now she's married to Mr. Law. And Mr. Law says, I want you to wash the dishes, make the bed, cut the grass. Lays down about 10 things he wants her to do. So she tries and she does a good job. She washes the dishes and makes them sparkling. She got those done. She cuts the grass, got that done, makes the bed, cleans the house, does all these wonderful things. He comes home and he looks at the dishes. There's a spot on the dish. Nothing gets past his eye. The grass, it's not all cut exactly the same height. There's a wrinkle in the bed. There's dust on the windowsill, and that's not angel dust either. It didn't matter what she did. He found fault with it. And all he could do was condemn her. She said, I'll try harder tomorrow. So she gets more frustrated because the harder she tries, the worse it gets. And she cannot please the law. So at one time when she thought she was all right, now she finds out she's all wrong. She never does anything right. Have you ever been married to a guy that he's always right and you're always wrong? Nobody like that here, huh? <laughs> but he's always right. And guess what? She's always wrong. And it doesn't matter how hard she tries, she keeps failing. So he has to break the news to her. He says, thou shalt die. She doesn't want to die. The law says, the soul that sinneth shall die. She has to die. Why? Because she's not perfect. Now, there's no problem with Mr. Law. Because he is holy, and he is just, and he is good, and he is spiritual. Nothing wrong with Mr. Law. Where's the problem? Over here. I don't mean that in a bad way. There's the problem is that she represents all of us. We are all sinners. We have come short of Mr. Law's perfection. 
We can't fulfill everything he demands. We fail. And it doesn't matter how hard you try, you can never change Mr. Law's mind. The wages of sin is death. So in all who sin, all must die. So the law has those Ten Commandments. And those Ten Commandments is his standard of righteousness. He doesn't change. He's always right. The problem is that we are weak in the flesh and we cannot fulfill the righteous, perfect demands of the law. So the law must condemn us. And she goes to him and she says, can you show me just a little mercy? And Mr. Law says, I don't, I don't have mercy. I'm law. What about just a little grace? He says, I don't have grace. I'm law. All I want is just a little love. I don't have love. I'm law. What about forgiveness? I don't give forgiveness. I'm law. Nobody seems to understand how bad it is for her. How bad it is for you. For me. We cannot get grace and mercy and love and kindness and forgiveness from the law. He's law. It's got to be right or else. It's the death penalty. The wages of sin is death. She has, there has to be death. She says, I, I don't want to die. So she begins to search the scriptures. <gasps> and lo and behold, look there in Romans in chapter 7, verse 1. It says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law. Aha. Uh -huh. How that, now get this, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he what? Ah, there's the key. As long as he's alive. The woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. So her only way of getting free is wait for him to kick the bucket. <laughs> and there's probably people right here waiting for him to kick the bucket. So she's waiting for him to kick the bucket so she can be free from him. Because she knows it's a hopeless case. This is what you would call, we're incompatible. <laughs> He's always right. She's always wrong. Uh, wrong and the two can never get together. It's always going to be this way. She cannot satisfy the demands of the law. So all she has to do is wait for him to die. There, that'll take care of that. Then she can start looking around. But we got a problem. He is just and holy and good and spiritual. He can't sin. If he can't sin, he can't what? He, he can't die. You're stuck, girl. <laughs> See, she can't get out of this. How, how can you get free from the law? There is a way to get free from the law. Look at the last part of that verse. Verse 2 again. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. Ta-da! But he won't die. She has to die. She doesn't want to die. Now, little did she know that from the time she was born into this world, there was another man 
that's loved her. Loved her all her life. But she wouldn't look at him. You know the difference between puppy love and the real thing? Puppy love is where you just look at each other. Go, <laughs> That's where the puppy love turned into a dog's life. You know, I had a dog one time. He didn't have any legs. Every night I took him out for a drag. You know what the dog said? Rough. Y'all get that after a while. You're slow, but you're all right. You're coming right along. That's fine. But you got to understand this so that it will help you in your Christian life. It'll open up some of the scriptures, and it's like turn the light bulb on, you know. So how can she get free from Mr. Law? There's another guy that's always loved her. And uh, so I, 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 need a, I need another guy. Uh, what about, uh, there's a guy named Arthur in here. There's Arthur. Come on up, Arthur. We're going to get her out of this mess. This is the only hope she has. It's the only hope that any of us have. Just have a seat over there. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. Just look pretty. <laughs> now, over here we have Mr. Love. See, over here we had Mr. Law. There's nothing wrong with him. But Mr. Love, well, see, you got to watch these triangles. They always get in, in trouble. But see, Mr. Love, he, he has always admired her and, and, and loved her. But see, she, she chose this man. She says, I can do this. And so she thinks by her works, she'll be all right. See, this is how people are in their life. They think, I, I don't really need Mr. Love. I can keep the law. I can earn my way to heaven. All I got to do is be good and do the best I can. I go to church and I live a good life and I pray and I do all these good deeds. Surely I'll make it. And the law says you have to be perfect. And none of us are perfect. Nobody's perfect. I got on an airplane one time out there in Colorado and I was coming down here to see Hank, speaking of college he had here. And on the way down here, this year girl came on. I might have told you this story, but I get old. I can't hardly remember sometime anymore. And I sit down on the plane there, and I says, Lord, I, I hope you bring me a victim. I mean a person so to sit beside me so I can witness them. And this woman came on, dark skin, and she was dressed <laughs> with silk from the head to the foot. And as she walked, the silk just floated around in her arm. And she walked down the aisle, and I wondered where she was going to sit. <laughs> Guess where she sat? right beside me. So I began to talk to her real nice. And I asked her the question to plan. It took off. We got up there, level off, you know, and I says, um, where are you from? She says, Peru. I says, where? She says, Peru. I said, you mean Peru? Yeah, Peru. I said, what are you doing in Denver? She says, Mahiraji. I said, what? She says, Mahiraji. I says, I thought, I didn't say it to her. I said, I thought that big old fat fellow that sits around contemplating his navel. And I says, she says, yeah, me, me, me like, love Hamahi Raji. And I says, okay, so much for all of that. I said, where are you going to go when you die? She said, I'll me go to heaven. I said, you're going to go to heaven? She said, yeah, yeah, oh, great, good. So how do you know? She said, me perfect. 
I said, what? She says, me perfect. I said, no, you're not perfect. She said, yeah, me perfect. No, I've never had anybody say they were perfect. She said, me perfect. No, no, you're not perfect. No, yeah, me. I can't get them saved and I I can get them lost. I got to get this girl lost. (laughs) So she would write something in her language and try to get a little book and she'd write up some meaning and she'd try to say it in my language. And she'd write a little bit and she'd race a little bit and you'd write a little bit. So I finally said, hey, I said, you know perfect. Yeah. I said, no, you're not. I said, you righty. I says, then you make mistakey, you turn the racer over, and you erasey. <laughs> and on the plane, she goes, hey! The stewardess come running from both directions on the plane. Thought I'd done attack this girl. She wouldn't talk to me the rest of the trip. All because I showed her she wasn't perfect. I would think that would be the easiest thing in the world. Listen, I don't, I don't care how good you are. You're not perfect. To go to heaven, you understand, you gotta be perfect. Go in the church. How does that make you perfect? It doesn't. It doesn't. So just because you're good on some things doesn't make you perfect as righteous as God. So there is the law, and the law condemns you, and we're all condemned. All the world is guilty before God because we've all sinned and come short of God's perfection. That's the way we are. And there is only one way, one way out of this mess. And that's the way that God puts it right here in this book. Now, over here we have Mr. Love. Mr. Love comes and he was made of a woman, made under the law, so that the law had jurisdiction over him. And he kept the law perfectly so that Mr. Law couldn't condemn him, couldn't condemn him, because he was perfect. Jesus is Mr. Love who came into the world and was born of a woman made under the law in due time and fulfilled the law. He did not come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law. And by keeping the law, he had no claims upon him. So he makes a deal. I am willing, since I did not sin, I don't have to die. I will pay their debt. I am willing to die. See, all the law wants is a payment, a death payment for sin. You see, she doesn't have to stop her sins. She doesn't have to quit sinning or turn from sin to be saved. She has to die for her sins. She has to die. What's the wages of sin? Death. She has to die. You see, you can't get a new birth till you have the death of the old one. The old one has to die first before you can get the birth of the new one. And she doesn't want to die. So he satisfies the law. That's the word we get, propitiation. It means that God is satisfied with the payment Christ made. The law is satisfied with the payment Christ made because it was for all the sin of all the world at one time. So all the sins of everybody have already been paid. The law is satisfied. God is satisfied. And the last one that has to be satisfied with it is you. Will you believe that he did it for you? And get this. Even though she may think he's better looking than him, she can't commit herself to another man as long as she's bound to this man. Duh. 
She's married to this man. She's not free. He's not dead. She's not dead. She's not free to marry that guy or love that guy. That's why you cannot tell a lost man, will you commit your life to Christ in order to be saved? Because she can't commit herself to another man till she's free from this man. Simple. So preachers that are telling people that you've got to commit your life to Christ, lordship, salvation, it's totally impossible. Not possible. And you don't have to turn from sin to be saved because you have to die for those. So he goes to him and dies under the law. Was smitten. Pays for all the sins of all the world. Comes back from the dead. She now has a choice. There is no other way. She either accepts that payment that he made or she goes to hell. She has no other hope. There is no other possibilities. She cannot deliver herself. She cannot save herself. There's nothing that she can do is accept the payment he made for her. And when she accepts that payment, that death payment he made is put to her account and she is dead, as far as the law is concerned. Now let's just pretend. This little lady sitting right here. So that I realize I can't save myself. I can't deliver myself from the condemnation of the law. But I believe he did it for me. She don't have to love him for the payment to be put to her account. Nobody was saved because you love God. We're saved because he loved us and paid for our sins. All that she has to do, all that she can do, is simply accept the payment he made. So when she accepts that death payment, this is what happens. Picture for a moment. Christ on the cross. When Christ was on that cross, he was not there for his sins. He was there for our sins. So when I believe that he did it for me, the Bible says I was like taken and placed by the Holy Spirit of God and placed into the body of Christ. And on that cross, I died and I paid for my sins. I was buried and I came back again from the dead. Though I didn't really do it, Christ did it for me. I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What he did was put to your account. So the moment she accepts him as her Savior, his death put to her account, she's dead. The law can never condemn her again. Why can't the law condemn her? Because the law can't condemn a dead person. Once she has saved and free from the condemnation of the law, he can never touch her again. Never. Now, now that she is saved, free from the law, has eternal life. Whenever she died because of his death, she also was raised again to walk in what? Newness of life. But see, the new birth is because she accepted a death. You have to have the death of the old man in order to get the birth of the new man. And God says there in verse 11, likewise, reckon this to be true. Believe that it's true. Because in God's eyes, 
judicially, this is what happened in the court of heaven. God accepted that payment. He was satisfied to put that payment to her account, and she gets to go to heaven on what he did. She did absolutely nothing for this. She didn't earn for it or earn it. She didn't work for it. She didn't have to change anything. Nothing. You see, if here's a man, here's a man right here. He's a drunkard. Does he have to quit his drinking for God to save him? No. A man's on drugs. Does he have to quit his drugs in order for God to save him? A thousand times, no. A man living in sin, adultery every night with different women, does he have to quit his sins for God to save him? No. To say anything other is to deny the grace of God. Don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is good news that a man can be saved by grace and grace alone and he cannot earn it. So when she trusts Christ as her Savior, she now has a choice. As a free person, free from the condemnation of the law, over here is Mr. Love. She can voluntarily, now as a child of God, she can uh, commit, yield her life to the one that died for her. But she don't have to. If she chooses to, she'll be blessed. If she doesn't, she's going to suffer consequences in this life. And they're not going to be pretty. And she'll suffer loss of rewards that she could have had when she gets to heaven. But let's just pretend for the sake of this trinity. She says, as she finds out more and more about who he is and what he's like, she finds out that he is not only just and holy and good and spiritual, he says, now here's what I want you to do. If you want to serve me, you don't have to, but if you choose to, it's a reasonable thing. I want you to take and wash the dishes and cut the grass and, and, and make the beds and everything else I tell you to do. And she thinks, now wait a minute, I heard that before. Now, the righteousness of the law could not be fulfilled by her when she was here. Now she's here. And he wants the same thing, a holy life. But you see, he couldn't give any mercy and grace. But Mr. Love says, when you fail, I want you to know, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. He says, I'm going to help you do everything that you need to do. My grace will be sufficient. I will always be with you. And when you mess up, I'll forgive you. I am full of grace and truth and mercy and love. Everything she's ever wanted, she can find it right there with Mr. Love. And now she can serve the Lord because of what he's done for her. In view of what he's done for us, we're supposed to serve him. But I don't have to. I'm free from the law. And you and I are supposed to live our life as though our old man was buried. 
like you don't even have an old sinful nature. You do. But you're to live like he's dead. And you don't have to fulfill any of his desires. And you can yield yourself to him. That's why he says, we're no longer under the law. Why? Because you died. And now you're under grace. Christ. So look there in verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. You're free from him. You're under grace now. Grace means to do it because you love him. Because of what he's done for you. Now, take your Bible and look in verse 3 of uh, Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, look in verse 3. So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. See, if he's, he didn't die, but she died. So when she came back, well, she's free. She's free to marry, right? Because she died. She's free from the first one. And that's why he makes this statement in verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. Now, remember, I didn't make up this story. This is not a Yankee made-up story. This is the Bible type to teach chapter 6 so that we could understand it. So because she was married, she died, she's free because of him, and now she can serve the Lord. Now get what he says in the last part of verse 4. Who is raised from the dead that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Remember, between God in the Old Testament, the law, and Israel... God wanted Israel to produce fruits of righteousness as a righteous nation. And a righteous nation, God says, it exalts you. But sin is a reproach unto any people. But Israel did not produce the fruits of righteousness. When Christ came, he wanted the fruits of righteousness. When he talked to the Pharisees, and John the Baptist was in Matthew chapter 3, bring forth the fruits of for righteousness. They didn't have the fruit. And now whenever you trust Christ as your Savior. And you yield yourself to the Lord. Then God wants there to be fruits of righteousness. Now since you've known Christ as your Savior. Are you bringing forth the fruit of righteousness in your life? Well the things that you do. They're right. Or do you still have sin in your life you need to deal with? But look what he says in the last part of this verse, verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And everything in your life should be different, and it should be that you walk in newness of life. According to Romans in chapter 6 and verse 4. Thank you. Y'all can go have a seat now. Thank you. Give him a hand. I appreciate it. Now I would like to get to my sermon. 
The Bible tells us that the law cannot save. The law was never mentioned or given for the purpose of saving. The law was given to show you and I that we're sinners and cannot save ourselves. Take your Bible and look over there in the book of Galatians and chapter 2. Galatians and chapter 2. In Galatians and chapter 2, look in verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. You see that? But by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. She would never be able to justify herself by her works. Because you see, if you're going to keep the law, you have to keep all the law, not some of the law, not most of the law, all the law. Look down in verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written therein. You can't pick and choose. You have to keep all the law continuously all your life. You know anybody like that? Then they can't save themselves by their works. That have to be perfect. That's why you need a Savior. The law points us to Christ. But look what he says down in verse 19 of chapter 2. For I, through the law, am what? Dead to the law. That means the law can never condemn me again. There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ. So once you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you have eternal life, you're God's child, you can never go to hell in the future. Isn't that good news? I can never be condemned again. The law can never touch me again. Now, here in Galatians in chapter 3, what in the world was the purpose of the law? Look in verse 19. Wherefore, seeing, in verse 19, wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgression, because of sin, till the seed, which is Christ, should come to whom the promise was made. God made a promise to Abraham saying he's going to justify the heathen by faith. Well, why did God give the law? Well, nobody would trust Christ as their Savior if they thought they could save themselves by their works. So God gave a standard of righteousness that says, there it is. You can't do it. 1,500 years, no man ever did till Christ came. And the law could not condemn him. And that's why he was able to give himself as a payment for everyone else because he wasn't guilty. Now look what he says here in verse 21. Is the law then against the promise of God? God forbid. That's the same as saying, no. For if, if, if there had been a law given which could have given life, very righteousness should have been how? By the law, if you could earn eternal life, that's the way it ought to be. But you can't. So it has to be by grace. So then, in verse 24, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. So the law points you and I to Christ. The law cannot forgive you, and the law cannot have mercy. The law cannot show grace. The law cannot do any of those things and have compassion. But grace through Christ can. So you and I, we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I always use the law when I'm talking to a lost man. Are you perfect? Well, I think I'm pretty good. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. Have you done that all your life, continuously, without break? Well, no. Thou shalt not lie. Have you ever told a lie? Well, once or twice. I use the law to convince a man he's a sinner. The law 
and its law was designed for the flesh, not for the godly man, not for the spiritual man. So you and I, because we have two natures, I got two births, still living in one body in this old world. When I walk after the flesh, the law can still slap me upside the head. Still a price to be paid in this life. But if you'll walk in the spirit, then God's going to give you the blessings that you ought to have and that you want to have. The best news in all the world. I want to close with one verse. I want you to see it. In Romans in chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. In Romans chapter 11, look in verse 6. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of work, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. See, my coat off, that's grace. My coat on, that's works. And if it is by grace, then it cannot be by works. Otherwise, grace isn't grace. But if it is by works, it cannot be by grace. Otherwise, work isn't work. Isn't that clear? <laughs> Means it's either by grace or it's by work. But it can't be both ways. So God says it's by grace or it's by work. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, if you know this verse, quote it with me. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. That's the best news in all the world. But you see, now that I have trusted Christ as my Savior and I'm free from the condemnation of the law, I made up my mind years ago. I may not have to serve the Lord, but I want to. I want to. I have fallen in love with the one who died for me. And I want to please him and I want to serve him. But he loved me that much that he would save me without making me promise I had to love him back. He would save me. And I didn't have to promise to clean up my life. But after I got to know him, I wanted to. You see, you can't make people spiritual. You can't make people holy and godly. You can't make somebody love God. That's a decision everybody has to make on their own. It's kind of like, I, don't, I, I catch the fish, let God clean them. Then I realized, I, I can't even catch the fish. I just put the hook out there in the bait, and, and God catches the fish. Still his word. It's so important for you and I to understand how precious the Lord ought to be to every one of us. Let me show you something. You haven't seen this since um, probably last week. <laughs> this is you and me. This is sin. We all have sin on us. And God says that he loves us, but he hates our sin. And see, and God gave the law. And it condemns us because see, we, we got sin. So every man who sins condemned by the law. Wages sin is death. We all have to die and spend eternity separated from God in hell. But to go to heaven, you have to be perfect, as righteous as God, and nobody's perfect. None of us are. We cannot save ourselves. It's not by any works. This hand represents Jesus Christ. This is Mr. Love. He came into the world. He had no sin, didn't have to die. But he came because he loved us. Hates our sin because it separates us from him. So what Christ did for one, he did for all. He took all the sin, paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead. And God said that if we would believe that he did it for us, he'd put that payment to our account, and we get to go to heaven on what he did for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever 
believeth. That's all he has to do. Should not perish, won't go to hell, but have everlasting life. You go to heaven on what he did. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I hope that you will. Let's pray, shall we? Heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around. Why not take just a moment, talk to the Lord, and say something simple like this. God knows your thoughts. You don't make a mistake. You're not promising something. You're not going to quit anything. Just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. That's what I am. Friend, that's what we all are. Just a matter of admitting that before God. God, I'm a sinner. And I believe, Christ, that you died on that cross and paid for my sins. And right now, the best I know how, I trust you as my Savior. I believe you did it for me. And, friend, God said, if you'll believe he did it for you, he puts that payment to your account, and you'll go to heaven whenever you die. I'm going to ask you in just a moment to raise your hand. Raising your hand doesn't save you. It's just to let me know that what I said made sense to you. I'm not going to have you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. But right where you're sitting, the quietness of this moment, is there anyone at all say, yes, I will trust Christ as my Savior? And preach, I'd like you to pray for me. Would you slip your hand very quickly and put it right back down? Is there anyone at all? You say, I've heard about it all my life, but I've never trusted Christ as my Savior. Anyone at all? If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you're God's child. You're to live by grace. It means live under the power and the influence and the love that Christ had for you. And let that motivate you. You're no longer under the law. You don't have to do anything. You're free from the condemnation of the law. It can never condemn you again. Our Father, we ask your blessings upon each person here, upon the church, and pray, Lord, your will to be done. We thank you for this time together in Christ's name. Amen.